Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. So today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. It is 2 to 7, right? Yes. (laughs) The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Yeah, that's definitely the right one, don't you think? I love that one. Thank you so much, Ervin. This is the time when I'm going to talk about uh, God's Word and what it can teach us. And today I'm going to talk about what it means that Jesus is our Messiah. And that Messiah, that was, did anyone just see Liliana give Ervin the high five? Because that was awesome. Sorry, got distracted. Love it. Every time we read scripture, we should just high-five people after, like, yes, that's awesome. So um, I'm going to talk about our Messiah, and that our Messiah is Prince of Peace. And have you ever had the experience of meeting someone, and they're nothing like you thought they would be? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, maybe uh, you heard someone, like a friend of yours, talk about them a lot, and they talked about them and talked about them, and then when you met them, you found yourself going, wow, I did not expect you to be like this at all that ever happened? Maybe you've met a celebrity and they were different than you thought they would be. Maybe you had a really bad uh, online dating experience. Sometimes we meet people and they're very different than we expected. And it can be a very strange experience. It can feel off-putting. And today we're going to look at a way that this very much happened to God's people. Uh, Not exactly a Tinder date. Not at all. But they certainly probably found themselves in a place where someone was claiming that someone was something that they thought, no, 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 that can't be who you're talking about. We're looking together at the book of Matthew. And the Bible is a book of a lot of smaller books. And one of those books named Matthew, which we've been studying together, was written down after Jesus' life and when he returned to heaven by a man named Matthew who had followed Jesus. And as I explained uh, last week, one of the big themes of Matthew, if I were to summarize one of the main ideas, like, you know when you write something down, you're something you're trying to get across, what Matthew really wanted to get across to everyone, what he was trying to say over and over was, Jesus is the Messiah you've been waiting for. Now, to give some background to that, I got to go, and I did this last week as well, but it's important to understand um, how this story plays out. 
And the Bible tells us that at one point in history, thousands of years before Jesus, a man, God came to a man named Abraham and told him he would be the father of a great nation through whom all the world would be blessed. And he'd give Abraham's descendants this land and they would be God's people. God would be their God. But again, that part about all the world being blessed through their descendants is really important. And this nation did eventually grow to what we call the nation of Israel and settled in what is now still by many called the nation of Israel in that part of the world. Um, but it was a very tumultuous history. And some of you will know this. We also call this the Jewish people. And of course, at one point they were slaves in Egypt and God had to take them out and bring them back to the promised land. But they also had a series of other takeovers in that land. And at one point, they were taken over by the nation of Babylon. And actually, a bunch of them were taken to Babylon. And then they could go back home. And then there was other empires that came and took them over and took them over. It, it was very much a, a time in that part of the world, in the ancient world, where empires rose and fought, fell. And so all in the midst of this, remember, we still have this promise to Abraham that God's going to bless the world through them. And then more promises in the Bible continued. And there was a king named David, a descendant of Abraham, and God said, you are at it from your line. There's going to be a king that's going to be born. It's going to be the ultimate king. And there was also these promises of a Messiah spoken by people called prophets. And God rose these people up that would speak God's word to God's people. And these prophets would say things that would happen maybe in the close future, sometimes that happened, and often there would be still waiting for those prophecies to come. And you just heard one of those prophecies found in Isaiah 9. Isaiah was a prophet. Very famous line. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. And a word that is, is used for this, like a word for deliverer, is Messiah. And so God's people, these Jews, when the time that Jesus is born, they have been waiting for a Messiah. In particular, because they are actually being ruled by the empire of Rome at the time Jesus was born. And there would have still been this longing for this king that was a descendant of David, because one of those kings was currently not on their throne, wasn't in charge. This longing for God's promises to still come true, a longing for their deliverer. And this is what Matthew, to come back around, says. He says, it was, it's Jesus. This Jesus guy that's walking around, this Jesus guy that died, you've heard rumors that he came back to life, that is the Messiah. That's the one that the prophets wrote about. And in fact, often in Matthew, he has something called fulfillment passages. And these, this is when he quotes a prophet or he quotes the scriptures and he shows how it applies to Jesus. Now, when we're talking about this idea of this Messiah, however, a lot of people, if they would have read this, would have said, nah, that Jesus can't be that Messiah. No, that just does not line up. In many ways, what they would have expected about a Messiah would have looked rather counter to what Jesus actually was. I think a lot of them would have made assumptions about who that Messiah should be. And to be clear, a lot of times our assumptions have really good basis. And in this case, I think the people living at the time of Jesus had really good reasons to assume certain things about their Messiah. And uh, we're going to talk about a couple of those assumptions today. And to do this, 
I'm going to do a total surprise or Christmas twist. I'm going to talk about Hanukkah. Yeah? I know. I think it's funny. No one else? Okay, fine. So anyway, we're going to talk about Hanukkah, um, which is, have any of you heard of Hanukkah? How many of you know why people celebrate Hanukkah? Few. Great. Yes. Jan does. Jan grew up Jewish, so give me grace, Jan, if I mess this up. So, um, but I'm going to get into it to explain. I think this is an important Jewish celebration, and it gives us some, and it's actually being celebrated right now. I think tonight is the seventh night of Hanukkah. And so we're going to explain this. I think it's going to give us a sense of some of the people at the time. So I have, some of you would have taken the handout when you came in. We now have those handouts available for those who want them. You can follow along. There'll also be some ideas on the screen. So disclaimer, first of all, this is a time of history with so much detail. So many things happen. It is like Game of Thrones on steroids this time of history. It really is. There are so many new king, other king, uprising, people killing this guy, killing that guy. I'm not going to be able to give all the details. So some of you biblical scholars here, just give me a little grace when I do a very straightforward version of the story of Hanukkah. I invite you to look it up in more detail if you'd like later. But our story begins in the second century B.C., so we're talking just under 200 years before Jesus is born. God's nation, Israel, is in their land, but once again they are ruled by a foreign empire. This particular empire is called the Seleucid Empire. It's like a form of Greek. They're Syrian Greeks. And some of these ideas I put on the screen so you can follow along. So they are being ruled by the Seleucids. And there's a ruler, the ruler at the time is named Antiochus IV. He is the worst. He's terrible. In fact, and he's a bit pretentious, he actually calls himself Epiphanes, Epiphanes, which uh, basically, you know the word epiphany, which means like light? He basically says he's God. So if you ever think that person thinks they're God, he like legit did that. So Antiochus, for a number of different reasons, decides that he does not want the Jewish religion to continue. He wants everyone to embrace the Greek culture. This was a time when it's like, we have figured it out. The Greeks would say, we've got the right culture. We want everyone to do this. And so he outlaws the practice of Judaism. He actually begins with uh, a revolt that where thousands and thousands of Jewish people are killed. And then he tries to stamp out the religion once and for all. He makes it illegal to practice Judaism. He takes the scrolls from their temple. He desecrates the temple. He makes observing their Sabbath and circumcision illegal. He kills mothers who circumcise their children secretly. There's a famous story of a 90-year-old rabbi named Rabbi Eliezer, and he publicly gathers, uh, brings him before people, demands that he eat pork, which Jewish people don't do, and when he won't, he executes him in front of everybody. It's a terrible time to be Jewish. And they're in their land, and they can't practice their faith for fear of death. And it go, it begins, of course, it starts in the city in Jerusalem, but it goes farther out. And they start, and then, you know, Antiochus wants to make sure that this goes far. So he sends soldiers to the rural areas to make sure this is happening. And what would happen is he'd make local priests make sacrifices to pagan gods. That's how they'd prove that they'd given up their faith. So he goes to this, the soldiers show up at this one small area, and there's an old priest there named Mattathias. And when Mattathias is brought before a soldier and he is forced to give this pagan um, 
this sacrifice to a pagan god. Mattathias rises up, he kills the soldier, refuses to do it, and a revolt begins. Like, yeah, right? You kind of feel like, way to go. So Liliana, again, is cheering with me. We love it. So he, and he flees. He has five sons, and he and his five sons flee, and they eventually, again, short version of the story, become leaders of this revolt known as the Maccabean Rebellion. When Mattathias dies, one of his sons, who is named Judah or Judas, becomes known as Judas Maccabees. And the Mac, it just, Maccabees means hammer, some version of hammer, so we're not sure why he's called a hammer. Maybe what he liked to use, we don't know. Um, and it becomes known as the Maccabean Rebellion, and you can read this in books called First and Second Maccabees, which um, are part of the Jewish scriptures, although they're not in our Old Testament, but they've got wonderful history in them. So Judas Maccabees continues this revolt. They say, we will not let our religion be stamped out. Antiochus will not win. His empire will not win. And there's battle after battle. At one point, Antiochus sends 40,000 men to defeat them. They fight back and win. They win. It's very violent, but they win. And when they go to Jerusalem... And they finally take Jerusalem back. Right? Remember, Antiochus took it, and he had like desecrated the temple. They go into the temple, and they're like, "We are getting this right." And they go to like the menorah. The menorah is that thing with the seven, eight candles. I'm like, wait, eight candles, and there's only enough oil, sacred oil, for one candle. And they light the one candle, which will only last one night. And the miracle, which is remembered at Hanukkah, is that it burns for eight nights, seven nights, seven nights, yes, right, thank you, math, people, thanks. So they, they burn, the, they burn uh, this oil, and it lasts, and that's what people who are Jewish still celebrate at Hanukkah. They remember how God allowed that oil uh, to last, but that's not really what they're celebrating. What they're really remembering is how God freed them from oppression, they're remembering how they said no, how they rose up, that God protected his people and what they believed to be the true faith. And within a couple of decades, um, they actually were allowed to rule themselves again. And there's this, this brief period of about 130 years. It's known as the Hasmonean dynasty. Won't get into why. And this is actually when, again, the Jews are ruling themselves. But it doesn't last Remember how I said things go? So they got this like 130 years. They're like, yeah, we defeated Antiochus. And now we're like allowed to practice our religion again. And we can pick our high priest. And we can do these things that are important to us. But in 63, the Roman Empire invades. And they fall to Rome. And in 37, Herod is made a king. Remember Herod, the bad guy in the Jesus story, the birth story? Herod's the king. So when Jesus comes, we've got Herod a king. He's not a descendant of David, as he's supposed to be. They don't like him. And if you remember, he's not very nice. We still have the Romans in charge. And here's what I want you to think about. If you lived in the time of Jesus, when Jesus was born, right, and you were a Jew, and you had grown up just a century away from the stories of the great Maccabees, the ones who rose up and defeated the empire that tried to end your religion. 
This would have been part of who you were. You were only a generation away from remembering when you were in charge of yourselves, more or less. And now you're ruled by Rome again. The king is evil. He's not legitimate king. And you have prophecies. You have prophecies that say a Messiah is coming. And you have the story of the great Judas Maccabees and what he did and how he rose up. And if you want to know how much, how significant this story of the Maccabean revolt is to, uh, at this time, look, let me tell you the names of Judas, um, of Mattathias' sons. Remember, he had five sons. Their names were Judas, John, Simon, Eliezer, and Jonathan. So look at the names of the disciples. There was a Simon, there was a John, Matthew, Mattathias. They named their kids after these guys. Right? These were their heroes. These were the heroes of their stories. And then you've also got this prophecy You've got stories, and you've got Romans, and you've got, for to us, a child is born, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. That's, that's where you are when Jesus has come. My question is, what would you have pictured the Messiah looking like? I think you would have pictured someone that looked like Judas Maccabees, wouldn't you? Like Mattathias? Someone who rose up to take back your land and take back your people. And you know what? I think that would have been a reasonable thing to expect, don't you? This would have shaped you. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus really doesn't look that way. In fact, Matthew, as he tells the story, says so many things that seem to counter this. He talks about Jesus teaching to love our enemies. He talks about Jesus teaching to turn the other cheek if people are out to harm you. And we even have this story, which happens on the night that Jesus is arrested. And it's found in Matthew 26. I'm going to read it to you. And it says, while he was still speaking, Judas, now Macbeth, one of the twelve, one of Jesus' followers, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for a sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? And in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So that's when Jesus is about to be arrested, and they know his death will shortly follow. And it says that when he gets there, and, and they're about to attack him, that we actually read in another part of the Bible that it's his disciple named Peter. He takes out a sword, and he cuts off one of the soldier's ears, and Jesus says, put your sword away. He even says, am I leading a rebellion? 
And then actually, in another passage, it says he actually heals the ear of the one who's about to arrest him. My guess is that this is not what Peter would have thought to have, would have happened. Do you know what I think Peter actually thought? Here we go. Just like Mattathias, they're about to arrest him. The rebellion is beginning. Get our sword. The revolt's going to start. And Jesus actually says, I'm not even leading a rebellion. And then the disciples flee. I think a lot of them running away is that they go, this wasn't the deal. <laughs> this doesn't look like what we thought it was supposed to look like. This should have been the moment when Jesus rose up, when he became that king, that Messiah that we've been waiting for, that gives us great stories about how we can rise and be powerful and defeat our enemies and give us our land back. And Jesus says, put away your sword. It turns out that the way the scriptures planned it, remember Matthew loves to say that, this fulfills the scriptures, their idea of prince of peace was different than how they thought maybe peace would come. The peace would not come through fighting, but it would come by Jesus being peace, the Jesus who from that moment would go and actually let himself die for us, but would rise again. Important part of the story. Jesus didn't just bring peace, he was peace. He was God. He was peace. That's what the Messiah would be, one who brought peace, not through fighting, but by putting violence aside to bring real peace, bringing peace by being peace. And we still don't really think that today. We still uh, can struggle with that idea. If you wonder about that, just look at superhero movies. Superhero movies, we give the message all the time that good violence will end bad violence. If the good guy commits the violence, that's how we fix the bad guy, right? That's not really what Jesus said. Not that you can't enjoy superhero movies, just relax. Simply pointing out how ingrained these ideas are in us. And it reminds me that we all make assumptions about how Jesus will do things in our world, and by that I mean how peace will come. We all have ideas about how peace should happen and how God will do it. But Jesus' peace is the way of peace. It's not stealing peace. It's not taking peace. It's not fighting for peace. It's being peace. And I'm sure like me, you long for peace. In just the last few days, I had a couple moments where I was so aware of my longing for peace. One happened in the middle of the night. I had been watching Netflix right before I went to bed on my computer, closed the screen, put it down, and I was watching like a political thriller, and I don't know what happened, but it mustn't have turned off all the way or something. And in the middle of the night at 2 in the morning, I awoke to the sound of bombs going off right next to my head. It was really startling, to say the least. So I had this moment, and, you know, I'm sharing with this with someone the next day. I'm like, oh, my goodness, it was a really awful experience to wake to bombs next to your head. And then I thought, and some people actually have that with real bombs next to their head. I thought of the couple who stood here a couple of years ago and told their story when they left Syria of that exactly happening, that they woke up in the middle of the night and their daughter, maybe you remember this, and their daughter had crawled into bed with them and they went to her room and it had disappeared. Thank God, right, that she didn't, couldn't sleep that night. So they woke to real bombs, not a computer, next to them. And I longed for peace as I thought about what that was like. And then just last Sunday, this was so upsetting to me, I was driving down Fennel, and as I passed a bus stop, there were two men, young men, just standing, minding their own business, Middle Eastern man, 
And as they were standing there, this white, big guy walked by, and he went over and punched one of them in the head. I physically watched it. And so I was like, what just happened? So, well, that's what I did. I pulled over. So actually, I had to like turn around and pull over, and I went back. And I said to those guys, did, did they, he just hit you? And he said, yeah, he did. I said, you are assaulted. I just watched you get assaulted. Anyway, long story, we talked about calling police. I didn't want to, all this. And I had this moment where I was like, what is happening in Hamilton? We're two innocent Middle Eastern men, and some white guy just thinks he can come by and smack them on the top of the head. That, that's a real thing that we live in. And that they said, well, there's no point calling the police. And I longed for peace, and I realized that I don't even know what it means to really long for that kind of peace. Peace because you actually have bombs next to you. Peace because it's not always safe to stand next to a bus stop for you. I don't know what that's like. But I also long for peace in other ways, and so do you. I long for peace for people who are hurting, for those who face the season and find it so painful, who feel lonely, who are grieving. I long for peace when people tell me about estranged relationships, when they say, my son doesn't talk to me. I haven't talked to my daughter in 30 years. I long for peace. And I know you do too. And I know when we think of peace, we have our assumptions, right? Like we have a fight with someone and we think, oh, you know, when I get a chance to like set them straight, then we'll get it all figured out, right? Or if I could have just thought of the perfect thing to say. Or, you know, if I, or if someone says, oh, this happened. Like, well, if I'd been there, let me tell you, I would have made sure they knew not to go hitting people on the street, right? But yet, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, put away your sword. Put your sword away. This is the Jesus who came at Christmas and is the Jesus who will come again. The Jesus who will bring peace. But we'll also do it in ways that may look different than we think. We sing a song uh, here at this church a lot. We're going to sing it today called The Lion and the Lamb. And it's referring to an interesting passage of scripture. There's a part of the Bible called the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. And it is a giant prophecy. Some of the stuff in it have come true. And much of it we're still waiting for. And these, this is one of the passages, and it's found in Revelation 5, and I'm going to read it to you. And then it says, then I saw, and this is a vision. There's a man named John here who's having a vision of what will be, and this is what he sees. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls, but no one in heaven or on earth could open the scrolls or look inside. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scrolls or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, this is Jesus, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which, incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll 
and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased from God, for God, persons from every tribe and tongue, people and nations. You have been made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. I know it's a little bit of a weird story, but this is the vision he has. That he sees the scroll and it needs to be opened. And it says he sees the lion of the tribe of Judah. But I'm wondering if you notice something. When it says he sees the lion, then he says he turned and he actually saw what? A lamb. The lion is never a lion. The lion is a lamb. I'm going to let that sink in. He never sees a lion. He says, and there I saw the line of the tribe of Judah, and I turned, and I saw a lamb that was slain. The lion is the lamb. Do you follow that? Jesus, the lion, is actually the lamb that was slain. And so when we sing, God, you're a lion, every time we sing that, we're actually singing about this lamb, this innocent, bleeding lamb that has been slain for us. That is what the lion of Judah looks like. It doesn't look like this big, roaring, loud, I'm going to eat you all up kind of thing. It looks like a lamb that has died for us. That's who Jesus is. And Matthew makes this clear. He says, listen, the Messiah you've waited for has come to his people. But it's not like you thought. It's not a big lion. It's not like Judas Maccabees. That had its time. But it is better. It is better because it's a way we can all live right now. Because our Prince of Peace has come. We can be people of peace. And for those of us who are looking for that peace, Jesus can be our Messiah not just the Messiah for people long ago, but a Messiah for all of us today. And, that, and those of us who claim Jesus as our Messiah, we have claimed a Messiah who is Prince of Peace. And for that reason, we can be people who choose peace. We can be people who bring peace into situations where there is conflict, where there is pain. We can be the people who seek peace in broken relationships. We can be the people who pray for peace in our world, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Let me pray. God, make us people of peace, and we pray for peace in our lives, in our hearts, in the world where there is suffering. You can be our Messiah. In Jesus' name, amen.